Now, you need a lot of fortitude to be a Christian. You found that? You even need guts because you're going to experience opposition. People are going to treat you badly because you're a believer. Have you ever experienced that? I remember playing Christian music and we were in the Philippines and we were playing in a prison. And the fellow who was translating for us had just been released from prison, that prison, the day before. And he went in with us to translate into Tagalog. And he became a Christian in prison. A fella came, started a Bible study. He got interested. He trusted in Jesus. He quit smoking marijuana, which was why he was in prison. And he found that his family was not happy that he was a Christian. And he said, my family said to me, we wish you were just smoking marijuana like you used to. They liked him better the other way. Now, wouldn't you say that's kind of hard? You found Jesus, you quit smoking dope, but your family liked you better the other way. It's a funny thing, but it happens. And you need to be strong and secure in who you are in order to follow Jesus. Have you found that to be true? Now, how you become strong and secure is to put on Christ. And as Peter says today, you need to arm yourself. Arm yourself. You put on his death and his resurrection. I'm reading in, in 1 Peter 4 from verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So, you know, we have to deal with the fact that as believers, we have conflicts in our lives that we never had before. There's a conflict in ourselves. Are we going to continue in sin? You know, before we were baptized into Christ, we didn't have this conflict. Sin, doing my own thing, that is my natural element. 
It's involuntary. It's automatic. It's like blinking your eyes. Do you ever think, okay, blink this, blink that. Keep it going, Rob. You're doing great. Keep blinking. You don't think about that, do you? You just do it. And of course I'm thinking about myself. That's what I do. But then, now that you're a Christian, you feel the conflict. You're about to do what you normally do, and you go, oh, wait a second. Shouldn't do that. How did I catch myself doing this? It's like natural. It's like, whoa, stop a minute. Think about this. Are you going to do what you want, or are you going to do what God wants? Conflict. And it is wearying, isn't it? To keep dealing with yourself and just thinking, stop that. Well, you stop that. Don't do that. Quit telling me what to do. Who are you having a conversation with? Nobody? Stop that. Shut up. It's like, what is this? And here's the real conflict. When I say yes to myself, I'm automatically saying no to God. But when I say yes to God, I am saying no to myself in the same breath. There's an internal conflict. Does everybody get that? But there's also a conflict on the outside. And it is about what others think of us. What we used to do, says Peter, is live for the will of the Gentiles. The lusts of men. And what Peter means is those who have nothing to do with God. It's just what everybody does. Isn't that funny? Um, Katie was having a, an online conversation with somebody talking about the Ten Commandments, and that fellow said, well, that's what everybody does. I mean, we live against the Ten Commandments. He goes, what's unreasonable about that? Everybody does that. That's a little unreasonable. Don't, don't, don't. And see, this is the problem. People who have nothing to do with God live for sensuality. And what it means is to live without restraints. Live without boundaries. Now, restraints limit, and they restrict, and they keep you under control. They say, this is okay, but oh, not that. This is right. That's wrong. This is decent. This is indecent. This is proper. That's improper. So boundaries, right, wrong, these words are not in the Gentile vocabulary. Does everybody get that? No boundaries. But sex, drugs, and rock and roll are in the Gentile vocabulary. And you know what rock and roll is all about? No boundaries. Freedom. That's what rock and roll is about. 
So that's like the national anthem. No boundaries. And you know, all the things that Peter talks about here, they all cross the boundaries. Lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. I mean, they all cross the boundaries. We're parting out of bounds at three in the morning. The neighbors are banging on the walls. Who cares? Out of bounds. And it comes down to idolatry, which is seeking satisfaction from anything or anyone that is not Jesus. We got to be specific in this area because Jesus defines who God is. So think about how people are expecting satisfaction from anything and everything, and it's usually out of bounds. If they're looking for it in drinking or drugs, they always go overboard and get smashed. Nothing about, I mean, beer. You know, when you look in the ads in the 50s, it's the beverage of moderation. Really? I got into trouble in Germany about that because beer is considered a staple. Got eggs, milk, bread, and beer. And they say, well, we can handle our beer. We've done it for centuries. But if you look at the reality, no, they aren't. I'm not going to slam the Germans because they're some of the finest people in the world. But, you know, the reality of being a Gentile is no boundaries. Psalm 2 shows us an entire world only wanting to throw off the boundaries. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. No cords, no boundaries, no restraints, nothing. And if you notice, that's what's being promoted aggressively. That's why same-sex is being promoted, because that crosses a boundary. That's why gender fluidity is holy and sacred, because it crosses boundaries, and it presents this idea that you can be anything you want. There are no boundaries. None. And if anybody comes in and says, that's not good, who are you to say that? And this is... This is where it comes into uh, speaking evil of you there in verse 4. If anybody comes up and says there's a boundary here, like an underage minor should not be given puberty blockers without the advice and consent of a parent. There's a boundary there, but they say there should be no boundaries. 
A child that is too young to make its own decision should be allowed to make this decision to break this boundary between a parent and a child. Parents shouldn't even be informed. Any kind of a boundary nowadays, there are those who are out to smash it. Do you realize that? So anybody who comes against that and says, wait a second, that person is treated with speaking evil, slander, blasphemy. Now, what Peter says in verse 4 is that they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same riot. And in other translations, they're surprised. It's like, what? You? How come you're not? Come on. Make with. No boundaries. With. You say they're boundaries? Well, that's kind of restricted of you. That's unkind of you. That's being a straight-laced blue nose. What are you doing poking your nose and everything and criticizing and putting things down? Why do you hate me? Isn't it funny how it comes to that? You think, well, you know, what you're doing is not quite right. You homophobe. Why do you hate me? You attackers. I don't hate you. I just think what you're doing is wrong. What you're saying is you hate me. <laughs> no. But see, it comes back. No, 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 no. You're the bad person for saying there are boundaries. You're the bad person for saying, you know, this, this might not be healthy for you. You might die because of this. No, you hate me. No, I'm just looking out for you. But you don't approve of me, so therefore you hate me. You're, you're vile towards all men. You want to control people. Just like Hitler wearing a cross. You can get kind of snarky there. Speaking evil of you because they have to say you're the bad one because you are talking about boundaries and you're, you're making me feel bad about myself and that's not allowed. You know, the alternative is you could get right with God and then you'd feel fabulous about not yourself but God. And it's unbelievable because the loving kindness of God is better than life. And you could feel like unbelievably fabulous more than you're feeling right now. Don't tell me what to do. There are no boundaries. So we got a conflict here. Does everybody get this? That just by saying there are such a thing as boundaries, there is such a thing as truth and lies, there's such a thing as right and wrong. That's going to come directly into conflict with people around us who don't have anything to do with God. Now, who's right? This is, this is where you get into flamethrowing on the Internet. And you can just come out with, you're wrong, you, you're so wrong, you take the bucket off your head, and all these insulting things, it can descend into this. So when everybody's blow throwing, blow flame throwing, what is the term? <laughs> Who's right? 
How can you tell? Here's how you tell. The one who loves the other one is right. And the one who says nasty, rotten, awful things back has to be wrong. You know, you look at people who are standing up for some kind of an agenda, how do they do it? Do they do that with generosity and love and meekness? Or do they get up angry and they talk about the other side, smash all opposition, show them who's right? You know, it doesn't take any character to do that. Anybody can smash. That's as automatic as blinking your eyes. Before you're aware of it, you've drawn back and you're ready to knock him into next week. You know, the devil responds with slander and talking bad. So if you want to prove you're right, you've got to be like God. And you've got to show that you're right by being right, by loving even people who are slandering you. Otherwise, you're no different. You're just like everybody else. Prove you are right by being right. And there is such a thing as right, and it's called love. That's how you do it. So you bless those who curse you. Does everybody get that? That's how you show you're right. Now, we're going to resist conflict within. And we're going to stand against conflict on the outside by arming ourselves. This is the big takeaway for today. Arming ourselves. In other words, it's a fight. It's a conflict. You walk in without protection, you're going to get sliced to death. So let's look at this armor. Peter mentions in the end of chapter 3, verse 21, that baptism saves us. And it's not a magic washing with water by a licensed professional said, you're all done, you're, you're, you're fine. It has nothing to do with that. Baptism is a symbol of being placed into Christ. And the metaphor of baptism is whatever you put into something, it takes on those characteristics. We've talked before that you take a, a piece of white cloth and you baptize it into red dye and you pull it out and it's not a piece of white cloth anymore. It has taken on the characteristic of what it's been baptized into. It's now red and that's it. It'll never be white again. Or you take a cucumber, slice it up, stick it in vinegar and some spices, put on the lid and leave it for six months. When you pull out that cucumber, it's no longer a cucumber. It's a pickle. And it will be a pickle forever. 
No going back because you baptized it into vinegar and spices. And that's it, folks. Permanent. Now, we've been baptized into Christ. And because we have been baptized into Christ and we're left there with the lid on, no cucumbers crawling out of Christ, okay? Staying in the pickle jar, you take on the characteristics of Christ. And the most important aspect of Christ that we take on is his death and his resurrection. That is, Jesus died to sin once and for all. And death no longer is master over him. And so, because we're in Christ, we also died to sin. Romans 6, verse 10, Paul says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body as king, telling you what to do, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, you're under grace. So this is what Peter is saying to us this morning. We are to arm ourselves. And we're to arm ourselves not with big honking pieces of metal outside us and look like Iron Man. We arm ourselves in our minds with this attitude of Jesus. You know, when he came, he came with this purpose to die. And that's what humility means. It means death to myself and being alive to God. So that I don't live for my own will, I live for his will. Now, armor protects, and it strengthens you when you put it on. It doesn't do any good when you leave it at home, lying in a pile on the floor. You have to put it on. So we're to clothe ourselves with Jesus, and the purpose is that we can say no to ourselves. You notice that he says that. In verse 1, he says, He who has suffered in the flesh, that means dead, has ceased from sin. Because it's remarkable. Dead people don't sin. Dead people do not sin. Sin is inactive in a dead person. And then, 
the resurrection of Jesus is also alive in us, working in us. And what we do then is we want to do the will of God. And we want to, on top of that, it's not like you better do the will of God or else you're dead. You know that, right? It's like, no, I want to do it. But then a step further than Romans 7, where Paul says, wretched men that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I don't want to do, and I'm not doing what I want to do. This is, I want to do it, and I can do it. I want to do the will of God, and I can do the will of God. It's a brand new heart. Now, the time to do the will of God, says Peter, is right now. Because he says there in verse 3, we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of God, or doing the will of the Gentiles, and that is running without limits, no boundaries. He says, man, you've, you've spent enough time doing that. And the question is, what does any of that get you? When, when you were a normal person without Jesus, and you weren't thinking about following him, what did that get you? What was the result? Paul says in Romans 6, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Because the end of those things is death. So Paul is saying, show me one good thing that ever came out of doing your own thing. Besides which, you're ashamed of that stuff now. Show what good thing came of it. So do you want to keep doing stuff that's not fruitful, that you're ashamed of? He says the end of those things is death. And here's the awful thing about being a Gentile. The worst thing is that you're wasting time. You cannot get any of that time back. And for all that stuff that you're doing, you know, for your own thing, it's all a waste, and you don't have the time to do the things you want to do. Isn't that weird? But this is it. When you become a believer in Jesus, all of a sudden, you hear the clock ticking. You become aware of this is a limited existence. We don't have all the time in the world. Because our time is limited, we realize we have a burden to use our time productively, to bear fruit. And you realize, man, I'm tired of wasting time. That's one of the worst things about pornography, is that you're wasting time. Whatever it is, you're wasting time. And you realize, oh my gosh, I need to do this and that and that and that, but I've been looking at pornography, and now I don't have any time to do this stuff. I'm in a crunch. I really think that's the main thing going on, is you're burning time that you can never get back. And you know, we think about being raptured about being taken out of the world at any time. We think about dying. You become aware, man, how do I want to meet Jesus? 
I want to be found doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Not found doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. You become aware of this whole time element. Here's another part of our armor that's meant to protect and strengthen our hearts. Peter says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here's this awareness of the fact that time is short. We're not going to be on the planet forever. And you know, the Gentiles would say, oh, that's morbid. That's awful. Look, man, don't even think about junk like that. Here's a beer and let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die, but that's tomorrow. But that's like now, let's not think. Let's just mosh for a while. And not worry about that stuff. Because when you're moshing and colliding, it's just like, woohoo, this is fun. Bonk. Let's just bonk for a while. Let's not think. But we're aware. Hey, tick, 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 tick. Do you hear that? And at a certain point, it's going to be tick, 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 we're done. So we realize that we're, we're approaching judgment where everyone who has ever existed is going to be around Jesus and everyone who's ever existed has to get down on their knees and say that Jesus is the Lord. Angels, demons, and Satan. They're going to say it with their own lips. And God is ready. So, if we know this, then it's going to strengthen our heart and protect us from getting bitter and angry and frustrated. You know, that person says stuff to me and makes me feel bad, and I'd really like to do this, but, you know, you're a Christian, and it's a bad witness. Oh, if I could. <laughs> I'd show you a little bit of the mercy of the Lord. Pow! But think about this. Yeah, Christians die easy. Yeah, you know, they're just like sheep for the slaughter. That's what sheep are for. Barbecue them. That's what they're there for. But you know, this, the judgment is right at hand. And this is what's going to give us the strength and it's going to protect our hearts to say, you know what, I'm living for that time. Say anything you want to about me, but guess what? You're still going to get down on your knees, and so am I. Now, the gospel is the only thing that enables a person to endure rejection by man to do the will of God. Do you understand that if you do what God says, people are going to oppose you and reject you? All right. Look at verse 6. 
Everybody have a problem with that? I know I do. This is, I thought we just did this. But here's a rule when you interpret the Bible. You always interpret in light of what you already know. Okay? If any interpretation contradicts something that you're clear about, that cannot be the right interpretation. So, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. This does not mean that somebody went into a cemetery and started preaching John 3.16 at the gravestones. It cannot mean that. Because we know from Hebrews 9.27, again, it is appointed for men once to die and after that the judgment. So when somebody dies, they're done. I know that there's a Mormon doctrine that you can be baptized for people who are dead, and that's why they go into their genealogies and find everybody that they can be baptized for to save them. But it doesn't work like that. You know why? Because if you could have a second chance after you're dead, nobody would ever become a Christian in this life. Hey, I'm going to whip it up now and then fix it later. Do you realize that? The Lord says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. You only have today, you may not even have the rest of today. And nobody has guaranteed you tomorrow. One of the ladies that lives on this road, I talked to her, I knew her from, we met before, and she told me that her horse died this week. And she loves her horse. Just like that. She was riding down to the paddock. She loves her horse. Her horse has been dead for a long time. And she's heartbroken. She has to do all the insurance details and all that stuff that happens. And she's just right on the edge of just breaking down. And we're all like that. We're all on the edge of eternity. So, the gospel was preached to those men while they were still alive. And then they died. And the reason why these people died is they were judged according to men in the flesh. And this is what happened. Somebody said, you're not worthy to live anymore because you believe in Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul used to do before Jesus got a hold of him. He used to run around and say, you, deny Jesus and I'll let you go. He said, no. He says, okay, I cast my vote against you to be executed. He caused believers in Jesus to die. They were judged in the flesh by men. But they're alive to God in the Spirit. This is the worst thing that can happen to you, is that men say, because you believe in Jesus, you are not worthy to live anymore, and we're going to put you to death. It happened to Peter. It happened to Paul. It happened to Stephen and James and a host of Christian martyrs. It's happening today. 
that the opposition of people is so great that they say, you know what? We're going to put you to death. You're not worthy to live here on this earth anymore. So, these people are dead to us, but they're alive to God. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus told the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2, do not fear what you're about to suffer. The devil is going to throw some of you into prison. You're going to have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So, we believe that Jesus died for our sins, and that he rose again from the dead, and we may have to seal that witness with our death. Whatever happens, we're a witness for Christ. So look, we're in Christ if you believe in Jesus today, you're in Christ, right? That means that you died with him and that you were raised from the dead with him. And the interesting thing about this is the world says that's not true. And the devil says that's not true. And sometimes your own body will say, that's not true. I feel alive and kicking. Let's go out. Let's do it right now. But God says it's true. He says, you died with Christ and you were raised from the dead. Now, who's, who's telling the truth? The answer is God. He says it's true. And if he says it's true, then you can count on it being true. So here's how we put on Christ. You do it like Abraham did. Abraham had to go through the very same thing. God gave him a promise. I have just made you the father of many nations. How many kids do you have? One. Well, he doesn't count. You're going to have a child of promise. Okay. How old are you? I am 99. <laughs> How's your wife doing? Well, she passed menopause. We're... So we're both dead, and you just told us we're going to be father of many nations. Okay. What did he do? He thanked God. He thanked God for the promise. He got up and he said, well, God, you promised me that I'm going to be a father of nations. Thank you, Lord. Fabulous. Wife, thank God. <laughs> what? Come on, I didn't hear you. Let's go. Let's thank God. Because he believed that what God promised, he could fulfill. It's really up to God. And he's faithful who promised. So he gave glory to God. He just got up in the morning and said, Thank you, God. I am the father of many nations. Thank you. And that's what we do. We can get up every morning and say, Thank you, God, that I'm dead with Christ. That old me that knows no boundaries. Dead. Thank you. And I'm alive with Christ. I'm alive with Christ. How would you feel if you were just raised from the dead? I used to be dead, but I'm not anymore. I've got this giant extreme victory dance. See, like you get to be happy. 
Now, you know your body might be saying, quit with that victory dance, will you? <laughs> Hurts. You say, shut up, body. We're going we're gonna to do an extreme victory dance for Jesus, and then we're going to fix it later, okay? We're going to do the stretches. But seriously, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it change your life if you got up every morning and said, I'm alive from the dead? My old life that I don't even like anymore. Dead with Christ. And it's a simple little thing, but guess what? It is the will of God. You're offering your body to God as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to him, which is your spiritual service of worship. You're doing it. You're already doing the will of God. And that's how you live your day. The temptation comes, you say, well, I'm dead. Make it so. And help me to do your will. See? It's all day long. This is armor for you. You put it on. And you do it by thanking God. So, I've got to say this. There are no half measures to this. You've heard of the term mostly dead? Mostly dead means partially alive. So you cannot mix this and kind of be for Jesus and kind of not for Jesus. Like nine to five, that's his time, but after five is my time. Time for no boundaries, yahoo! It's got to be all or nothing at all. Does everybody get that? If you try to mix the two, it won't work. So you got to think this. I'm dead with Christ 24 hours a day. I'm alive with Christ 24 hours a day. This is my reality. This is how I live my life. And this is the only way there is to live life. You must arm yourself. Does everybody get this? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have provided a way for us so that we can really say no to ourselves and make it stick so that we can say yes to you. And we've spent enough time running around like chickens with our heads cut off. We want to live with purpose and meaning and direction. So do that in us. Help us every day this week to wake up and to say thank you that I'm dead with Christ. Thank you that I'm raised from the dead with Jesus. Help us to do an extreme victory dance. In Jesus' name, amen.